In times of change, it's important to remember careers change and develop accordingly. To discuss this and her ambition to democratise career development, Anne Franca is joined for this week's Better Managers podcast by Helen Tupper, co-founder and CEO of Amazing If, an award-winning career development company, co-host of the UK's number one careers podcast, Squiggly Careers, and the author of the Sunday Times number one business bestseller, The Squiggly Career. Well, let's start off with the obvious question. What is a squiggly career? <laughs> yes, always. A squiggly career is a concept. It's a, it's a concept that we use to describe the world of work that the majority of us experiencing today. So it is a world that is not predictable and linear. It's full of change and uncertainty. But it's more than just the world of work. It is about what people want from work. So no two squiggles are the same. No matter how many times I draw a squiggle, it never looks the same. And that's sort of the reflection for careers as well. Everybody's squiggly career looks different and there's no good squiggles and bad squiggles. What we want to get to is squiggly careers that feel as individual as we are. And I guess the thing with squiggly careers is what we're doing is holding it up against the old concept of careers, which was the ladder or the staircase. And that wasn't really reflective of change and uncertainty and ambiguity. That was about predictability and the idea that careers were linear and that the job to be done for all of us was to go in one direction through a series of steady steps and promotions to get to the top. And we feel that in the climate that we're in now and how much work is part of our lives, that squiggly as a concept is just much more inclusive because at some point the ladder started holding more people back than it helped to move forward. And that just that doesn't feel like a world of work that works for everybody. Right. Well, yeah, that's certainly true. Um, and I guess especially, um, not surprisingly, women felt held back by some of that uh, squiggliness. But when you uh, when you go into um, companies and talk to them about, you know, you because you do, you help them recognize that their careers are squiggly. Do you get pushback? No, 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 no. It's not squiggly here. It's still all about the ladder. <laughs> no, no. So I, I mean, I'm, we're probably working with a biased audience because they've chosen to work with us. So they're sort of embracing squiggly. I think um, what we help organizations to do is to help people to squiggle and stay. So what we want when we're working with companies, it is about giving individuals insight and awareness so that they can take action so that they have they feel like they've got a sense of ownership for their career and their development. And it's about creating uh, a capability and a culture within an organization so that people can move around, that they don't have to be restricted to one thing, that they can explore and develop and progress in different directions. So that's what we do with organizations. That's great. And I'm um, a huge advocate of that. Um, we do that at CMI when when there are projects. We put people on the projects, right? So let them develop their skills. Um, rather than, you know, um, only doing one thing. Now, that's not to say that, obviously, expertise can be important, but I do think that greater flexibility or squiggliness in careers and certainly greater individuality is a huge outcome of the research we've done around COVID. It's very important to people, and it's likely become even more important. But now you've not rested on your laurels. You're busy writing or have written yet another book, this one, I think I've got this right, is called You Coach You, 
So tell us how you got that idea and how do we best coach ourselves? <laughs> I guess our first book was called The Squiggly Career and it was all about this, this um, you know, this concept that careers are changing and that takes a different set of skills so that you can take ownership for your development. And that's sort of book one, um, you know, that was only published last year. So we're still talking about that and still helping people with that. But what we did want to recognize is that sometimes in squiggly careers, there are what we call knotty moments, like the, the difficult times where maybe... Um, you've got a relationship at work that isn't working the way that you wanted it to. And maybe that's with a stakeholder or your manager, or maybe you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, like you feel like you've lost control of your time. Or uh, maybe, you know, the last 12 months have just, they've knocked your confidence and your resilience and you need to get it back. Mm -hmm. And in those knotty moments, what we want to do is help people to help themselves. And what happens a lot of the time is that we feel like someone else has got all the answers you know, we've got to, our manager's got to help us, or we need, we need a mentor, or we've got to have a coach. And whilst those relationships are helpful, when we start introducing dependencies for our development, we start sometimes creating hurdles. Is there budget for a coach? Has my manager got time? Does my mentor care about me and my development and want to help me? All those things. And so You Coach You, which the next book is not out to January, but that book is all about giving people the skills to coach themselves so that when they are in the knotty moments, they can get halfway there themselves. And it's not to replace those conversations, but what it does mean is that when you have them, you're better prepared for them. You ask better questions, you have more self-awareness, and you're more able to take action as a result. So that's that's what You Coach You is all about. That sounds great. And I know it's not out for another six months, he said in January. So, you know, give us a couple of pre-insights about how do you coach yourself? So there are, um, in the book, uh, it's kind of, this is very much of a sneak peek, but in the book, there's there's one chapter, which is all about how to coach yourself. And then the subsequent chapters take on those knotty moments. So like the, the time, the relationships, the motivation, for example. Um, and, you know, coaching I, I say this with all respect because I am a qualified coach and I know lots of people spend a lot of time increasing their qualifications as coaches. But at its simplest, coaching is about really great listening and really great questioning. And whether you want to qualify as a coach and invest loads of time in that, that is that is at the heart of what being a great coach is about. And we can all develop those skills of active listening and, and you know great questioning skills. So if I was if I was to kind of take something out, if I was to take something out of that first chapter, this is a real sneak peek. I'll probably get told if I'm a business partner for doing this. Um, <laughs> we have um, an approach that we call dive deeper questioning. So when people are questioning, particularly when they're reflecting on their own situations, um, for lots of reasons, they sit at the surface quite a lot. So I might say, let's say you're my manager, Anne, and we're having a bit of friction at work. And I might think, oh, why, what's going on? And I might think, oh, Anne doesn't like me, or Anne's a bit busy at the moment. And I kind of move on. I don't dive that deep into what's going on and why am I feeling like this? And so if I want to help myself, if I want to coach myself through that situation, that knotty moment, what I want to do is dive a bit deeper with my questioning. Because if I dive a bit deeper, I increase my learning and I can take more meaningful action. So the first level, like level one questioning, is all about facts. So that's kind of not too far below the surface. Imagine we're, we're swimming and we're going to snorkel and we're going to go to three different depths with our diving. So level one, not too deep, just below the surface. Uh, that's the facts. What's going on at the moment? What's my diary like? What's Anne's diary like? Is, is and different with me than other people let's go on facts we're going to go a bit deeper and we're now going to go into feelings well how do I feel about that I'm worried that Anne doesn't like me I'm worried she doesn't think I'm going to be doing a good job um I'm worried that uh Anne thinks other people are better than me 
I don't know, whatever that is. And I kind of go, hmm, that, that's, that's interesting. That's getting more about me and my thoughts now and maybe what how my thoughts are affecting the situation. And then the deepest level that lots of people avoid, <laughs> don't go there, is about fears. What am I actually worried about here? Am I worried that I'm not going to progress? Am I worried that no one likes me? Am I worried that my career is failing? And when you start to think about the facts and the fears, the action that you take as a result of that becomes much more meaningful. Because if we just act at the surface level, we haven't necessarily got to the real problem that might be getting in our way. But when we dive a bit deeper and we start to work at that level, that's where we make more meaningful changes for ourselves and our careers. So a bit of a sneak peek, there's lots of that. <laughs> that is excellent. That sounds fascinating. And let's talk about the challenges and opportunities now um, in COVID, right? There's lots of talk of hybrid working and resetting the working um, world post-COVID. What aspects do you think we should carry on in the workplace and in management and leadership terms? And what obstacles do you see? And in that, maybe you can comment on what do you think the role of the office is and how do we best hybrid? Yeah, yeah. I feel like all I can add to this is an opinion, which is, I think is all you're asking for. But I, I don't know that anyone has the answers for how we make hybrid working work when we've never, we've never been in this situation before. So, I'll, you know, I can add, add an opinion. And actually, my opinions are often informed by, well, lots of people, CMI. So I kind of read, obviously, the, the reports that CMI produce. Um, I follow uh, Bruce Daisley, who has a great weekly newsletter, and Christine Armstrong. So uh, I actually, a lot of my thoughts are, are kind of provoked by what, what they share. But in terms of, I think of terms of what I think uh, we should keep and what we should consider maybe going forward, I think that we should keep some of the trust that has been built. I think trust in people had to be re-looked at quite quickly because suddenly I couldn't see what you were doing all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I needed to, you know, give you autonomy and space to do your work in a way that worked for you. And I think that is a brilliant thing. And we need to keep that, whether people are coming into the office or, you know, working from home, autonomy is a really important part of people's motivation. Can I say that you mentioned you you looked at CMI research. We did a major piece of research, Management Transformed, and it absolutely confirmed what you said. When employers uh, trusted and colleagues, managers trusted their employees and those they managed, productivity was much higher than it was when they didn't trust them. Now that that so I just want to say you're absolutely right uh, in in advocating that. That's actually a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, and I also I often look at the work that uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson does on fearless organisations and the importance of psychological safety and how we make that either virtual working or kind of in a physical space part of how we work. So that that sort of informs my thinking. I think in terms of things that we need to consider as we kind of go forward and organisations design these solutions. I, I think we need to consider agendas. I think everybody has an agenda. Like the individual who, you know, me, I've got two young children. What is my agenda? I want to make sure that I can have a great job, but I also have time with them. I have an agenda. The company that has a monthly fee for their office building, they have an agenda. They're thinking it's more efficient if everyone's in the office. And I think we shouldn't ignore people's agendas. We should try and understand What's motivating Helen's behaviour? What's motivating that CEO comment that they're putting out about we should all return in September? I think if we can understand people's agendas more, we can more creatively solve some of the problems together. 
rather than ignoring them and maybe getting some of that friction. So I think the first thing is what, what's, what's driving some of the decisions that are, and things that might be communicated. I think it is also worth taking a step back. So sometimes we go to hybrid and we go, okay, what's the technology? What meetings are we going to have in the office? We get quite, you know, very practical quite quickly. And I think we should take a step back um, and actually think about a bit of psychology at work. So actually what motivates people, regardless of where they work, when they work, what motivates people to want to work. And I often think about Daniel Pink's work on Drive, where he talks about purpose, mastery and autonomy. And so if I'm a leader, how do I help people individually that work for me have a clear sense of purpose, their why of their work, have mastery so they feel that they have the skills they need to do their job and have autonomy so that they feel like they have the space they need to succeed in the way that works for them. And I think they are individual questions. And I think they're collective questions as well. In a team, a manager could say, what does mm-hmm. purpose look like for our team? What does mastery look like for this team? How do, how do we work together and have autonomy at the same time? And I think those sorts of questions go before, let, should we have a meeting all together on a Friday in the office? Like I think they're a bit bigger, but I think they're much more meaningful for the world of work that we're going to find ourselves in in the future. I think that's really insightful. And all too often, um, you're right, we jump to the practical, who's coming in on Tuesdays, who's coming in on Thursdays. And that's not really the issue. The issue is culture, right? Um, And again, I know at CMI, we've found that culture, you know, trumps strategy or trumps um, what day of the office you go in, right? (laughs) Um, And it is is a very important point that you raise. And I like the way you framed that. Um, But but we do know um, that this pandemic has disproportionately impacted women, young people and minorities. And um, so it's it's a very big question as well to say, how do we ensure we build back better, more inclusively, and not, as, as many studies are saying now, take a big step backwards in things like gender pay gap or progression for women? And what do you think, or, or indeed um, minorities and, and young people, what do you think individuals and employers can be doing? And what do you think the government should do? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a very real real concern and I'm a trustee of a charity called Working Families who have recently published some research about the fear uh, that women actually in particular uh, have about actually feeling that their flexibility is going to hold them back and make them more vulnerable to redundancy going forward Um, and I think you know that creates so so many problems that's the opposite of a fearless organization isn't it? it's a fearful organization where people feel that their right to have flexible working is going to actually hold them back and um, so that's not great so I think it's a very very real concern I think within organizations there are three things that I think make a difference and I think that's about language and leadership and learning so if I talk about that a little bit more um, and this, you know, this is culture stuff again. But I think that the 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 language that we use when we talk about flexible working and people's choices is, is is really important. And I think this is almost like where you know microaggressions can creep in. I was at this session where where a leader talked openly. Actually, he got some feedback. Someone someone had a flexible working um, agreement in place, and he was in a meeting, and he said, and you know. Oh, yeah, Paul comes in late on a Wednesday. Paul comes in late on a Wednesday. And it created this kind of sense that Paul wasn't as committed because he comes in late. That wasn't true. Paul had designed his work so that it worked for him. And it wasn't about him coming in late. That that was how he managed his work. And I think these the language that we use and the assumptions we make, oh, um, Helen works flexibly. I'm not sure she's going to want to come in for that meeting. 
let, let's not make those assumptions. Let's ask Helen. Let, let's not assume because she's a working parent or because she uh, lives away from the office that she doesn't want to be involved in this project or that she's not ambitious. So I think the language that we use and the assumptions that we make about people, we need to be very aware of those and we need to call it out when we think that that could get in people's way. And again, you, you, you've got to have an environment of trust where people feel that they can say, oh, Helen, I'm not sure your language there is that inclusive. And I think you've made some assumptions about people that we might want to explore. Um, that takes trust to have those conversations, but I think it helps everybody to be included when we do. I think in terms of leadership, I was going to go there. We need we need role models. We need we need people talking about their experiences and we need uh, female leaders who are working flexibly so that we can see that and we don't think that we have to be some kind of robot leader who doesn't have a life in order to succeed at work and and then I think we need a lot of listening no one is going to get this perfect straight away and actually pursuing some perfect way forward I think is only going to create problems down the line I think that what we should do is to be actively listening to what's working in the organization what's not what needs to change and that actually this is kind of more iterative for everybody so yeah Mm -hmm. if I think I think language leadership and listening would be the three areas I think in terms of organizations Mm -hmm. I think the government needs to have some policies that flexible working needs to be a right for everybody in organisations and that should be part of kind of government policy. That's some of the things that working families are working on right now is to protect some of those rights to make them fair for everybody. Yes, and CMI is on that flexible work task force and I know that, um, you know, uh, we we are inputting into that and believe that flexible working is absolutely vital. But a lot of employers, there's still convincing to be done on the part of employers Um, But what about an individual? What would you recommend that they do? And then I'm going to ask about you as a leader before we go to our questions. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. What would I I, I recommend that individuals do? I think that individuals having clarity and confidence in what they bring is really important. So if you're going to design your work around you, like, okay, what's what is, when do I do my best work? Where do I do my best work? How do I do my best work? All those sorts of questions. Um, Then I also think that you have to be, clear and confident about what you contribute to the organization because I do think it's a two-way thing you know if I'm going to ask if you if I work with CMI and I'm going to ask for these flexibility for the the freedom to work in the way that works for me I think I also have to say and in return this is what I can do for you this is what I'm good at this is what I can contribute and I think having I think for individuals answering those first question about what does work that works for you look like like go reflect on that but then at the same time thinking and communicating with clarity and confidence about and in return for having work that works for me this is what I can do for you Mm -hmm. I think that's where we get more equitable working where the power dynamic is equal I'm coming to you to do my best work and this is the environment that I need to do that and and let's talk about that. I think that feels for me like the world of work that I want to work in where people can have that kind of conversation and the power the power dynamic is is as balanced as possible. Yeah, that's a great insight. Well, um I want to get to the questions, but first, what about your own learnings as a leader and as a successful entrepreneur? What's been your biggest learning in COVID and And what advice would you give to maybe somebody who's thinking, gosh, I want to start my own business after all of this pandemic? (laughs) Oh, so many learnings, so many learnings over the last 18 months, accelerated learning. I think my biggest personal learning has been about my energy. And what I mean by that is 
energy is one of my strengths. So when I ask people for feedback, when do you see me at my best? What's the impact that I make? Or uh, when people give us feedback from courses, energy is always in there. It's like, oh, you, you, you energized everyone. You brought a lot of energy. And it is one of my strengths. And I have also realized how dependent what I do is on my energy like have I got the energy to write the book have I got the energy to run sessions um have I got the energy to record a podcast and so I know now that my success is very dependent on my energy and that is something that I have to invest in I can't just give and give and give it as a strength I also have to grow and grow and grow it or or it just or it all falls down Mm -hmm. so I think what I've realized over the last 18 months is that that is um, a super strength of mine that I have to super invest in as well and so whether that is by okay well you know you need to do some exercise Helen because that's going to give you more energy or you need to have better boundaries or well who do you spend time with that gives you energy or what's the work that takes your energy away mm-hmm. like all of those questions about my energy are the things that's helping me to be at my best and they're probably the most important questions that I ask myself and I've really realize that particularly in running my own business because it's not a huge business I don't have a massive team I have to be at my best in order for my business to be at its best and I know that energy is at the heart of that so that's been that's been such a learning (laughs) that's great so find your strength and lean into it nurture it protect it that's excellent advice and yes you definitely have great energy Um, okay let's get to some questions our first question is from Tandy There's a lot of research that suggests that Generation Z have very high expectations of the responsibilities they'll be given early in their career, and that this sometimes can create disappointment for them if it doesn't arise as quickly as they hope. Do you think Gen Z are engaging with squiggly? Mm, Yeah, really good question. So um, I feel like there's sort of two things within that. So yeah, I I absolutely feel they're engaging with squiggly. In fact, I think they expect squiggly from the outset. So I think within the organisation, there are some people that almost started on a staircase. And I count myself in that. Like I definitely started out going, the job to be done is to get to the top and get yourself promoted. And, And I did it for a bit. And then I thought, oh, but I want to do something over there and over here. And um, so I think Gen Z expect squiggly. It's more, it's, they, they don't want to be put in a box and told to stay there. They want to have the opportunity to explore from day one. I think the other sort of question in Tandy's, in Tandy's question is, are their expectations realistic about where they can get to and how quickly that they can get there? Um, and that's where I think we can help people with awareness and insight. And so we don't want to create environments where people feel frustrated because also that generation will move more freely than the generations before them so if they're if they're in an organization and their expectation is well I want to get there really quickly and you're not you're not helping me the psychological contract is not the same as generations before they will move more quickly so I think we have to create what I think of as learning organizations you know I talked about helping people to squiggle and stay give people opportunity to do projects in different places so it's not help people to understand that progression doesn't just equal promotion and that if they are in a learning organization I have to think you know learning is the job so you know if they're in an organization that's helping them to learn it will help them to have a more resilient career and I think it is giving them opportunities to grow and develop and progress will help people to squiggle and stay and their expectation is going to be that I'd like to do that pretty 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 soon on so yeah awareness and opportunity but it doesn't have to be promotions in six months I I agree with that I think that's great advice Um, so we've got a question from Anya love the self-coaching questions approach it has almost universal applicability how would you like to see leaders adopt this in the future 
Well, I guess my starting point is I want to see everybody adopting it. I think I would like leaders to talk about coaching as a capability in a career and advocate for it in companies. We, you know, using tools, talking about how they have coached themselves, sharing, you know, knotty moments they have overcome. I think it's, that, you know, talking about role modelling earlier and the importance of that and creating a more inclusive environment for people to work in. I think they're just, you know, leaders talking about their squiggly career, their knotty moments, how their thinking helped them through those moments. I think the more that we do that, the less that we start to see that any, that anyone knows everything. You know, that the assumption, I might be like, oh, Anne knows everything and Anne has never had a knotty moment. And I bet you have had a, a knotty moment. So many naughty moments. Oh my God. Yes, it's all tangled up. <laughs> and that's, that's what we need though. That's what we need. We need someone to say, this bit of my career was really hard and this is what I did and this is what I learned. And if that helps you, then brilliant. But no one has a monopoly on wisdom. And what we want to do is create an environment where everyone can learn and everyone can coach themselves. That's that's what I want leaders to do. Yeah. And again, I completely agree with that. And leaders do have naughty moments. And if they share them, it builds trust, right? Question from Nihal. How do you think we can get parents to embrace squiggly? I think Nahal's trying to convince their parents that it's okay <laughs> to embrace squiggly and help young people to feel comfortable with nonlinear progression. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, so Nihal, my work isn't with parents, but I am a parent, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, I can talk about uh, I don't know, opinions and insights, and maybe my own my own experiences on it. And um, I think that as a parent, uh, I think encouraging curiosity uh, and making sure that people don't see sort of learning as a tick box exercise so it's not sort of kind of do and move on is a really important part of it I think being aware that your experiences of the workplace are unlikely to be your your child's experiences of the workplace so you know I went on a graduate scheme because that was the thing to be done when I came out of university that was a bit ladder like you know get yourself on a grad scheme and work your way up that's not necessarily the right thing for people right now. So I think if we can help two things, to be specific, Nihal, to your question, I think if we can help children to unhook themselves from career comparison quickly, where I measure my worth based on how my peers are doing, I think if we can help them to have individual confidence, so it's not based on comparison, really powerful thing, because that means I make choices that are right for me, not based on how I keep up with my peers. And then I think the other thing would be growth mindset so um growth mindset being somebody that um is able to see that they will grow through what they go through and they're they're willing to put themselves in challenging situations where it's not about succeeding and failing it's it's ultimately about learning and I don't think about myself and my skills as being someone who's got it or they've not I think about myself who's just not got it yet but I know that I could get it with effort and energy and intentionality and I think if parents could help with those two things, unhooking children from comparison and supporting them with growth mindset, it goes a long way. But I'm not saying yeah. it's easy, and I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried about my children. I've got to, I've got to do that as well. <laughs> of course, but you know what that is is taking us back to the squiggly concept, right? About everybody's squiggle is different. So understanding and navigating your own squiggle um, and your children's squiggle. Um, let them navigate their squiggle. We have time for one more question from Amy. I love the squiggly career concept. Do you think the key influencers of our society get it though? For instance, is the way that education for adults is provided helpful to this? 
Another interesting question and a big one, a big one to end on, Amy. I mean, we've been working with the Department of Education on Squiggly Careers. We've been working with the government on their kind of their national skills toolkit to make sure that everyone has access to learning. And actually, if you haven't seen that, everyone, there are some amazing free learning in the national skills toolkit, like from Microsoft and FutureLearn and the Open University. It is brilliant. So, I, I mean, I look at that and I, I take a lot of confidence from that. I think the more learning that we can put out there, the better. The education for adults is interesting. I, I still think we often default to learning as being going on a course. And I think one of the ways that we can extend education is by challenging that uh, constraint. So when we talk about learning, for example, we talk about four E's. So experience, exposure, experiments and education experiences like what you're doing on the job exposure is about the people and networks that you spend time with experiments is about things that you try out regardless of whether it works or not you kind of learn by doing uh, and then education is is sometimes courses but it's more about you curating your curriculum based on what you read watch and listen to and that being quite a personal thing so I think if we can extend what education is and talk about learning being the job then I think we make we make that better for everyone. But we are working with what I would think of as key influences in our society, and they are they are talking about squiggly careers and democratizing development. So that gives that gives me some confidence. Well, great. Well, bravo. What a note to end on. And let's hope that those influencers listen to your incredibly wise and really insightful advice. It's been great speaking with you, Helen. Thank you, and see you next week. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Better Managers Briefing with Anne Franca, CEO of the Chartered Management Institute. We hope you've enjoyed listening. CMI members can now access more content and insights around the subject raised in this podcast through our Management Direct portal. If you're new to CMI or yet to access our range of management and leadership resources and other benefits of membership, please visit www.managers.org.uk forward slash management direct.